Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Today, we're going to talk about something that I believe it will be relevant to 99.9% of you, and that's retirement plans. There's a new law that's come down the road that, quite frankly, I'm not that familiar with, but thankfully, Nina Windsor, who is our authority on such things from Tucker Allen, uh, she's going to talk about this new act called the SECURE Act. It's originally passed in 19, but there's a major overhaul in 22. This will affect all of you who have 401ks, IRAs, et cetera. It not just affects your getting the benefits and some of the tax issues related to that, but it affects your estate planning. And so we're going to focus on all aspects of that. And we're going to keep this simple. Is it possible, Nina? I'm to going keep... to try. I'm going to do my absolute best. Okay. This is a tough subject, but we're going to take the next, uh, what do we have, Justin? About 45 minutes? Yep, 45 Okay, we're going to take 45 minutes, and we're going to give you a very thorough overview. And and I know Nina has this special ability to keep it simple. I, I will try. So, so why don't you launch us on this topic? Sure. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning, to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning. Count on Tucker Allen, personalized estate planning made simple. So the SECURE Act is something that was passed at the end of 2019 originally, and it was something that affected everyone with any type of a retirement plan. So when we say retirement plan, we're going to refer to anybody who has a 401k, an IRA, whether that's Roth or not, and an annuity we aren't referring to pensions. Yeah, and um, everyone knows kind of what a traditional pension is. Yes. And so. and most people now don't have pensions. Those I know. Fallen. Every time I run into a client that has one, I, I'm just like, wow, that is so, I mean, they'll just grin at me. They're like, no, we don't have to worry about that. So yep. it's, a, it's a very nice thing, but it's something that's not as common now. So this is something that I think because of the lack of the average person having a pension, the government took a much bigger interest in ignoring the issues of social security for the moment about what is your private, you know, through your employer or otherwise retirement plan and how to maximize that while also allowing the government to accelerate the method by which it is taxing some of those distributions. So when the first version of the SECURE Act came out. In 19, right? In 19. um, It was not a great thing to hear because uh, we'll talk a little bit about how it it actually accelerated some of the distributions and the taxability of those distributions from retirement. So accelerating distributions means it lowered the required minimum distribution age that starts? Well, it actually um, was more focused on inherited retirement Mm, assets. And so we've got an inherited asset. What does that mean? It's going to affect estate planning. So 
some people saw notifications on CNBC, CNN, Fox News about this. It was big news when it came out. It was the type of news that the average person, it was going to put them to sleep. Um, So a lot of people didn't get that sense of urgency that they needed. Maybe they got a letter from their estate planning law firm. Most of the time that a letter was sent out notifying people that they may need to make a change to their So how big a difference, though, did did, give us an example of how much difference it could make with this change that occurred? Sure. So originally the thought was that the worst case scenario for someone who did not change their estate plan was that their children, instead of getting to calculate how much their required minimum distribution would be after the parent died— was based on a life expectancy table, and that was going to shrink to five years, which is the new, you know, that that, it, that was the catch-all provision. So uh, so if there were a million dollars that were in the account, it was inherited, and you had a child that was five years old with a life expectancy of, say, 80, mm-hmm. then uh, you would have been able to spread that over 75 years? Well, you would have you would have been able to actually calculate. It changes every year what the life expectancy the would be. Correct. But they would start paying taxes, though, each year at each that. Each year, yes. And now, um, and then if you weren't a child, it was going to be five years. So if you were a grandchild or a sibling or something like that, it was five years. So every trust that was drafted prior to the SECURE Act was drafted such that it would have that five-year provision. Well, what the legislation did was make it so that there was no more calculation on a life expectancy for children, only spouses. So even though spouses could stretch those distributions over a longer period of time, children no longer can. And so the IRS is like, okay, well, we'll compromise. Instead of five years, we'll do 10. And so now when someone passes away, the children would have 10 years uh, to withdraw those funds. Which and isn't terrible, but it's, it's not, not like 30 depending years or 40 years. Depending on the size, exactly. And so by compressing the amount of years that you have to take out those funds as a beneficiary, um, it means that the IRS gets the taxes on that money that much faster. The so math, it's a, it's a huge difference in math if you yes. calculate the tax effect of, of stretching it over a 30-year period versus a 10. But 10 is better than 5, and 5 is better than 0. Right. Are you saying that a spouse can still stretch it over the balance of her or his lifetime? Yes, and there are some advantages, which I won't get into about whose life expectancy you're taking depending on who is older of the two spouses, but there are some strategic things that can be done there. And we don't have a strategy for suggesting which one of you dies first. No. I think there's some law against that. The clients try to do that when when they're in my office, but um, I I can't make that guarantee to them. And they usually only look at it thinking that they know who's going to die first, but we know that that's not always the case. And then sometimes, you know, it might be that, that the first spouse to die died fairly young. Yes. And then you have a second spouse who doesn't live very long. So this stretch that you you imagine, this reduction in taxes and enhancing the value that would go to, to children is affected by events that you it's difficult to plan for. And you don't always know what your children have as far as their 
um, marginal tax rates. Some of them may be doing really well. And so taking this money out on top of what they're already making may be at a very high tax rate. Whereas if they're younger, just starting out after college, their tax rate may be relatively low. In fact, they may want to accelerate those distributions to take them on the front end and use some of the other assets that aren't taxable later on. So we won't get too far into that, but but there are things that can be done. The major problem, though, is that let's say we said, you know, we're fine. Five years is fine. I don't want to come in and change my trust. That was the initial reaction for a lot of people. What is happening now, now that we're a couple of years into this being effective, is that the companies holding these accounts are not comfortable transferring the asset to the trust that has not been revised to become Secure Act compliant because the language is out of date. So you end up with this asset in limbo. And I am I try not to be too much of an alarmist when I'm here. I like to be positive. But we are dealing with these cases now. And unfortunately, in some cases, they are resulting in a probate that is happening at the same time as a trust administration because the retirement assets were not properly addressed prior to the passing of the individual. And so... You're assuming that I know that it's a policy that that you advocate where if you create a revocable trust, Mm -hmm. we're big advocates of revocable trust, whether you're using Tucker Allen or not. If you're my mother or my brother or, or my child, revocable trust makes so much more sense for almost everybody than a will. But are you saying that that whenever you have a provision, for example, in which you would have the assets payable on death to the trust, that often financial institutions are not comfortable with that if the trust is not compliant with the SECURE Act. Correct. And not they're just feeling that way and call me up. They issue letters telling a client, we will not be able to transfer this. We've looked at a copy of the trust and it is not SECURE Act compliant. Hmm. So now your asset is stuck during the trust administration after your parent thought that they had wrapped everything up in a nice little bow and given it to you. And so although that is something that already happened in 2019, I'm just taking the opportunity to reiterate if it's something someone hasn't heard before, if your trust was last updated before January 1 of 2020 and you have retirement assets then you need to have a discussion about the structure of your trust and at minimum, the structure of your beneficiary designations for your retirement accounts. And so people are clear. Um, there's some there are some arguments for transferring assets into a trust, into your revocable trust while you're alive, going ahead and putting them in there. But for the most part, um, it doesn't make sense to put retirement assets directly into the trust because you don't want to lose some of the benefits we've just been talking about. So that may be a little confusing to you, the fact that that lawyers who practice in this area and are experienced, they generally will have a payable on death provision like a POD provision or transfer on death with your securities or your bank account. So they don't go in until you pass away. So it's critical that the financial institution you know, is willing to put the language on the account that you need for this asset to be transferred at the moment that you pass away directly into your trust, not in probate, into your trust, which means all that cost and hassle and delay is avoided that comes with probate. So right now, if people aren't updating and they have language that 
doesn't anticipate or doesn't acknowledge this SECURE Act, mm -hmm. I wonder what hap What will be the effect of that? Well, we're seeing the effect of it. If it's going to their spouse first and their spouse says, okay, you know, they come in for a trust administration and do a checkup to see what their responsibilities are, and we notice that the trust is not SECURE Act compliant, um, if it's still able to be changed, meaning it's still a revocable trust and it didn't become unable to be changed when the first spouse died, we can make some changes to make it compliant at that time because the retirement asset's going to your spouse first with that mm -hmm. you know, life expectancy calculation and then to the trust. So we catch it at the second step and say, okay, you don't have any more do-overs. Let's go ahead and get this updated. If the trust is irrevocable, it's something we can talk about in terms of a non-judicial settlement agreement, which we won't go into, but it's just something where all the beneficiaries say, oh, yes, we don't want this to happen. Let's go ahead and make this change to the trust um, so that we don't have to deal with the ramifications of not having made the SECURE Act update before. Okay, so um, this is certainly not to bless not acting, but we want to be thorough on the show and tell you that for those of the of you who have an irrevocable trust now and you can't make this correction, there, there, there may be a way to engineer this. It's a little more expensive, of course, and there's some uncertainty and it requires participation from others. But the good news is that there may very well be a fix. But, you know, contact your estate planning lawyers immediately and, and discuss how you might be able to do that. But I'm hoping that we're talking to most of you where you can still, your trust is still revocable, and we can make changes. And it's applicable to people who have not yet put a trust in place. So we can congratulate them on procrastinating. And now they can do it and it will be up to date because, like I said, this is the first overhaul in over 50 years. Yeah. And the new one, the new version of it that passed at the end of last year, December 29th of 2022, it's just fleshing out the provisions of the prior uh, version, and it's not changing anything significantly, and it is actually contemplating things going into over 10 years from now. So feel confident that they're not still toying around with the provisions, and you know anyone can put a t trust in place at this point and be confident that the language will last. Yeah, and the reason, one reason that this conversation is so important is that these are typically the largest assets that people own, even I think on average larger than their houses and the equity in their house. That's what I have seen. Yeah, I mean, because normally you won't have a million dollars equity in your house or even $500,000 equity in your house, but it's not unusual to have 500000 or even a million in tax-deferred you know, retirement savings, in other words. Um, so... There are some other provisions, though, in the statute that that we should know yeah, about. There are some fun ones. There's something for small businesses. There's something for young people. Um, so there are a lot of things that uh, I will say that um, it was 300 pages. There are 90 provisions. We're not going to go over all of them. So if you Thankfully. have further questions. Justin, you'd have to speed up the tape to get it to 45. <laughs> I'll have to talk. Can, can, can you reduce 45 hours to 45 minutes? <laughs> I Nobody wants to hang out. Yeah. No uh, one wants to hang out for that, so we won't do it. But we did pick out some nice little uh, highlights that we think will 
let people know that things are happening and, and keep them on their toes. And also there's some strategic things allowing people to plan ahead. Uh, so one of the things um, that everybody was happy to hear about for uh, our crowd that is 65 and up okay. um, is that We're- the required minimum distribution age um, has now gone up one year from 72 to 73 Ah. on January 1 of 2023. That became effective. So uh, that means that if you were going to have to take, you were turning 72 and you were going to have to take your first required minimum distribution, you can put that out off for a year. Um, And that by 10 years from now in 2033, one of the indications that this law is going to be kind of the law for It's going to be around for a while. um, Is that that's going to raise up to 75 So um, the thought here is that people are retiring later. We're trying to allow their assets to grow and give them a little bit more time, but also give them that ability if they want to, to leave the asset there and and not have it taxed as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is marvelous news to someone, say, 50 or so who, you know, maybe in 10 years thinking about what are they going to have to do and some considering retirement, but they don't want to draw on that any sooner than they have to. So the next provision is sort of a simplification, but not necessarily a gift because we all know most Roth accounts, if not all, um, as long as they've been structured properly, do not have a a taxable event upon their distribution because Roth accounts for everybody that may not know, um, those are put into the account with post-tax dollars. of money's already been taxed. So right now, there's really no reason to force people to take money out of those accounts on a certain schedule. And so this uh, Secure Act 2.0 did clarify that there are no required minimum distributions for Roth accounts. That's one of the nice features of Roth is you have to pay the taxes on the front end. But, but once you've done that, It accumulates tax-free. Right. So it's your hopeful type of investment, right? Because you're thinking right now my actual taxable rate is going to be lower than it would be if I took the money later. Um, Yeah. That's kind of a safe bet. Calculation, yeah. Um, So for people who want to do catch-up contributions, everybody that has gotten hit a little bit hard and had to suspend some of their uh, contributions to their retirement accounts or if things happen during COVID and you are switching careers um, and kind of in that limbo, it's allowing um, there to be additional uh, catch-up contributions and the amount has gone up. So you're going to want to talk probably to your plan administrator. Excuse me. Um, or your certified financial planner, whoever you you deal with and and see what you're eligible for. There is an income limit. um, So if in the year that you're making the catch-up contributions, you make over 145K, then that means that the uh, catch-up contribution would have to be a Roth. You'd have to pay the taxes on it. Yeah, 145K. So So it just just depends what your situation is. But like I said, we're going to give a buffet of things for everyone here. Um, one of the things I really liked to see, because 
a lot of this shows the public policy of the law, which is encouraging people to put money in retirement accounts, encouraging people to leave money in retirement accounts, and even if they have to make some adjustments to things along the way to get back on track. So for smaller businesses, which are under 100 employees, sometimes it is cost prohibitive for them to administer these plans or to get started to offer these these plans to their employees. And the Secure Act 2.0 is actually defraying those administrative costs. It's offering funds to those companies to participate in retirement plans or even pensions so they can get a tax deduction for allowing this to be an option and a benefit to their employees. Not just the tax deduction for matching, but the actual setup, which can be very expensive on the very front end. And that's under 100 employees. Mm -hmm. So for small businesses, most large businesses, in order to attract a certain level of talent, already have something in place. They have an infrastructure. And uh, that's great because often, you know, the cost, the burden on a small business for the bookkeeping and other uh, costs associated with administering a plan like that is something that that they just choose to not do. Correct. Um, and it's just as important, if not more so, for these people in small businesses, manufacturing businesses. Um, it's you know those people need to have retirement plans too. They can't just depend on Social Security. So allowing people to get uh, back on the horse in this way is, I think, a really great thing. And hopefully it'll help small businesses also to attract the talent that they want in this current job market. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another thing that is for everyone, everyone needs to know about this, is there is a database that's being created for retirement accounts. So think about the person that, I mean, even young people who have had short jobs right out of college and switched. Multiple jobs. Your parents cannot keep track of all of your retirement accounts that you may have started and put a little bit in or gotten a safe harbor, which is an amount that the company puts in and you don't have to put anything in uh, as a benefit to your job. So people have all these little accounts that are just sitting there. And the process, there's nothing in the Secure Act 2.0 about simplifying your rollover, but yeah. uh, at least not that I saw off offhand. So maybe someone knows that there is. Um, so... You may still have to do all the paperwork to do the rollover, but if you've lost your paperwork or your login or whatever the case may be for this old account, you can't even remember where you have it as a young person um, or even somebody who's who's just you know trying to get more organized and take charge of this, they can actually go to this database and look up what accounts are under their social security number and then gather them together and actually get so them rolled it, into and their So it's called Lost and Found database. Mm-hmm. That's what they're calling it, you know. And, in a, and, and but that will only be looking forward. It won't look back. It won't assemble data from it, the past. It should uh, assemble data from the past. Yes. Because I mean, think how common that is, uh, for, especially for younger people. And I say people under forty, for example, who, you know, especially under thirty is the easiest examples. These are people who retirement means nothing to them, you know, and Mm -hmm. you can't access the money. So it's not something you would be keeping track of often. And how many people have had a job for a couple years or a year and they have some contributions that are made to a retirement plan uh, and they're gone. And I mean, meaning the person leaves the job, they move on. Maybe they'll have five or six of those. Some people may have, have had 10 jobs by the time they're 40. 
And many of them are just don't value this accounting entry. Mm-hmm. You know, to them, it's an accounting entry because, as you said, the money may have yeah. been deposited by your employer and off they're gone. I think there must be hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, floating around out there that uh, technically they don't belong to the employer. No, and they are. They may be growing. Um, they continue to have the fund that you originally would have invested in as an employee. Um, so, you know, there's there's stuff there. It's not like the Secretary of State law, um, unclaimed property. Yeah, it's not the same thing. It's not sitting there completely unclaimed. Your name's still on it um, as an employee and your current job and as a past employee, uh, it's just, it's not really being looked at and you may benefit as an employee from getting yeah. getting everything put together. Maybe you have some funds floating around uh, from past jobs or something. Yeah. So, so this is, it's called the lost and found database. Well, they're calling it lost and found as in like a cute term. Who knows what it's going to be called, but um, we are going to make sure to link it on our on our uh, blog, on Tucker Allen's blog and website, and post it on social media when there's actually a way of access. Very good. So, Very good. Um, so one of the other things that is kind of in uh, that ilk is, and this affects our listeners who are 65 and up just as much as it would affect somebody who is younger. Um, if an individual has student loans that they are still paying on. And those are supposed to come back into place as far as the payments picking back up in latest of June of 2023 because um, they were in deferment for COVID. Mm-hmm. So if you have federal loans as a prior student. Or your children or, or grandchildren, anyone, somebody you know that. Anyone. Um, there is a new incentive for businesses. And previously, businesses may have known that they could pay student loans without, with it, you know, as a write-off, as an expense, as an employee benefit. This is a really neat idea because it allows the business to match what the individual is paying in student loans as if they had contributed to their retirement plan. So people who are making student loan payments who can't afford to contribute to their retirement plan, the company is allowed to match that. Like if they were doing a 50% match, they could match the amount that was paid in student loans, but deposit it in the retirement account of the employee. And the employee doesn't recognize it as income, Mm -hmm. and the employer gets to write it off. Yes, Yeah, that is a great... So that is taking effect next year, January 1st of 2024. But of course, they're giving businesses notice ahead of time because this is something that will really, I think the financial benefit is huge, but I think the psychological benefit for people who are worried about student loans and worried that they are not planning for retirement or that... They're retired and still paying on their student loans. Um, you know, there, there's everybody across the board is not happy about student loan, the federal student loans. Whichever side that you land on, it's not great. It's not great for lawyers most of the time. So this is something that um, 
it's like you said, if people have children or grandchildren, it's something to maybe ask if they're taking a job in the next year or two, is the business planning on participating in this particular program? Yeah, um, that's a great program. And it allows for the student loans to kind of pick back up because if people have been contributing to their retirement plans because the student loans are being deferred, they don't have to stop contributing. It's just that the business may be contributing, but their contributions um, as a retirement account holder will go more towards their student loan payment. I think policies like this, um, several examples of which we talked about today to encourage retirement planning. I mean, I think it's an acknowledgement by our legislators that Social Security is not a financially sound One of us was going to say it today. (laughs) endeavor. So I think that changes like this represent the recognition that people have got to save. If pensions are not coming back, and and for anybody that's middle-aged at this point, I think we can safely say they're not going to come back in our retirement lifetime, um, then this is a big focus and it's necessary. Um, So... There are some things that will be um, geared a little bit more towards people who are disadvantaged or low income. And so, th- you know, these are just fun things to, to look at and say, oh, at least there's something positive going on with all of this because the first version of the SECURE Act was not very fun. Um, the saver's credit, not a lot of people know about that unless you do individual tax preparation or you've been a beneficiary of the saver's credit. It is a reward for people who put money on on an annual basis into their retirement plans, even though they're not making very much money. So how's how's a saver's credit work? So it used to work that it was actually a credit towards income taxes. It was a refundable credit on income taxes, um, but it was cash that just went to the person. So they put money into their retirement account, and then when they did their taxes, they got a little bit of money back. That's kind of contrary to the actual point of the whole thing. So the uh, saver's credit is now going to be deposited as an additional, almost like an employer match. If somebody who doesn't make very much actually contributes and is, figures out how to save that year and they're able to contribute to their retirement plan, then the government will now take that saver's credit and will also contribute it to their retirement plan. So a saver's credit would be an actual savings in taxes, dollar-for-dollar savings. Don't confuse it with a deduction. So it means that a $500 credit is not a $500 deduction. It's $500 cash that goes into your account, essentially, or credit in your retirement. Right, and it's not a dollar-for-dollar match, but there it's, it's a percentage of that, and it depends on how much you're making. Okay. Um, cool. So it's a, it's a calculated, non-refundable tax credit now. So for this year, that's what it would be, but for... So it's kind of a hybrid between a deduction and a tax credit, Mm -hmm. right? So it is a credit, Mm -hmm. but it's not 100% dollar for dollar. Correct. So uh, you you can get the details of that, or maybe, are we going to post some details for... Yes, yes. We're actually going to release, at Tucker Allen, we're going to be releasing um, a newsletter as well as some social media quotes if you follow us online. You'll get more details, and we'll try to break it up in little boxes for you so that you can not get... With all of this information at once, but as more of the application of this comes out as well, people can kind of see how it's going to affect them specifically. One of the other things that is, we've talked about ABLE accounts on the show here before. So I'm a big fan of ABLE accounts. Um, They are, for 
anybody who did not listen previously, an account that allows a disabled individual to still work and have control over an account that's smaller than a special needs trust, but it allows family members to contribute um, and also for that individual to keep earning a certain amount of money a year without actually making it so that they don't qualify for state benefits on their dis- disability. So it just gives them, you know, some structure and something to do and still encourages them to get out there. Yeah. The issue with ABLE accounts was that it was really only for people who were kids when they became disabled. They had to be below tw- the age of 26 on the onset of their disability. So if you had a kid that was blind for example, and they were either born blind or they deteriorated while they were a minor, the ABLE account is a good option for them. But for a an individual who had a traumatic brain injury or something like that Car later accident. in life, yeah. exactly, um, that didn't. This wasn't a program that was available to them. So now uh, they are own. They can be up to the age of forty six in order to qualify for this special account. So this is. Uh, this is really a great benefit. I mean, to move from twenty six to to forty six. And remember, this is this is any form of disability where people are qualifying for state support in some fashion, which probably through federal matching dollars. Um, and for them to be able to earn some money without disqualifying, I mean, ABLE is a good program. It really is. It's an encouraging program. It gives people some dignity. Yeah. Um, and it. It, it probably the extends a, their health in many ways to go I, out and work. I believe so. And the funds that can be used that they earn under ABLE can be used for different things, a little bit more flexibility than a special needs trust. So um, it's to help out with some of the mental aspects of that disability. So you can pay for plane tickets to fly someone in to visit you who may not otherwise have been able to afford to do so from your family. Um Things of that nature that would never be covered under other types of accounts. And it allows them to really um, have a little bit of control. If they have mental capacity, they can even serve as the their own administrator of an ABLE account. Whereas with a special needs trust, they cannot. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's good. So what else do we have? So we're going back to businesses a little bit. Businesses, you know, have that uh, deferred fees and, and sometimes defrayed uh, fees for setting up a um, retirement plan. And now there are allowances for employers to encourage their employees to participate in the plan. You would think that a match would be a huge way to get people to participate, but they don't get anything immediately. And you know that economic concept of time preference on your money. We're talking about Gen Z, aren't we? No. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're talking about everybody. You know what? It, it's probably not Gen Z because think about it. You know all those banks that offer you things to go open an account yeah. there? And so you're thinking like, wow, if you did something like a retention bonus. If you stay with us for three years, we'll give you this deposit at mm-hmm. this particular time. Those don't work. I was in banking uh, before I went to law school, and I'm going to tell you, like the toaster type of a thing, really got people to open up accounts. Like the giveaway up front, like oh, I'm going to get a sweatshirt that says the name of my bank on it, yeah. works better than actual financial security down the road. It makes no sense. 
but let's just go ahead and acknowledge well, it. Well, apparently the, the, the government has acknowledged it, so. Um, the term used is de minimis, meaning it's not, it can't be a big incentive. It has to be when, nominal. Um, 20 bucks? I, I think the guidance, you know, without really saying is probably 50 to 100 bucks that you could do. Um, without getting in any type of trouble, but um, depending on you know what you're trying to get people to do, so you're you're paying employees to let you give them. <laughs> money. I knew you weren't going to like this one. I mean, it's just, <laughs> but it's, um, but they're participating too. Yeah. So, uh, well, let let me say this: if if any of you are employed where you have that offer, or your children or grandchildren. I mean, any accountant on the planet will tell you that, you know, it's hard to beat the rate of return if if you have somebody who's going to match savings, where not only is it tax deferred, meaning it's savings that go in, we're talking about 401k it's or IRA, it, the, the money goes in without being taxed, it accumulates without tax, and then when you draw it out, you'll pay tax, you know, 30 years. So you've really got to use the money to compound so, Matt, if you, if you see the math on the differences between taxing on the front end accumulation, then being taxed along the way, depending on the investment, and then taxed perhaps at the end. So instead, you have this opportunity. Well, on top of that, the, your employer is giving you, giving you a dollar for every dollar that you put in that wonderful account that you should want to do without, even or without per, the match. Or a percentage of it anyway. Or a percentage, yeah. It doesn't have to be dollar for dollar, but some percent. Sometimes, it, as you say, it's like they'll match 50%, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. 50%? I mean, it's a rate of return that you're not going to find that anywhere that you can go to the bank on. And this is a guaranteed 50% return on the front end, and it's tax-deferred in that case. And even if it's less than a 50% return, maybe they match 30%. I mean, still. So my point is, it, it's it's kind of comical that the government is, has had to come up with this idea of these gift cards. Give away some co- get, coffee makers. To and- get people to be willing to, to take advantage of this thing that employers do. But I know it exists because I can tell you, you know, we have, you know, Cordell and Cordell has, you know, hundreds of employees and, and, uh, and related companies do too. So I can tell you it is a problem, especially... I think it's more common among younger employees because, you know, it's so far in the future mm-hmm. that they just, you know, uh, I'd rather have a dollar today than if you promise me $3. dollars fifty or $3 or $5 by the time it compounds. Yeah, yeah, which is really what it is. It's more like 5 to 10 mm-hmm. Um So it's a weird phenomenon. It's not always feasible for everyone. um, And certain types of people are not going to respond to this. Either they can participate in the plan or they can't. But it's to give them that, hey, why don't I go home and tell my spouse my company is giving away this and we have our election sheet that we can fill out for the coming year. And maybe I should go ahead and, and hop back in. Maybe I took a break during COVID. Someone lost their job. We couldn't afford to make the same contributions that we were previously. And we need to get back, um, back I'm in. very skeptical of that explanation. Just so you, I mean, I know what you mean. I hear what you're saying. But maybe it's a beautiful toaster. I mean, it would, I, but the point <laughs> is for somebody to quit making this contribution. There would have to be some massive crisis because it's just so, so wise. It's so prudent to to plan for the future, and when you're getting such a tremendous incentive, 
And and now we have a toaster. No, we have a <laughs> And it depends. I remember we talked about that safe harbor provision. Some companies are putting in the money regardless of whether their employees do. Um, others do a match. So every person should look at what their company is doing and make sure that they're maximizing the benefit to the extent that they can. Uh, but you might get a gift card too. Yeah. So I, I'm going to tell you who's going to be mad about this, the people who have already been participating the entire time. Yeah. They're saying, where's my gift card? Yeah, so they might have to already get a gift card for doing nothing. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think it'll make a huge difference. I, I, I Sadly, yes. I do think it will. Okay, what's next? Um, so in that same ilk, um, there is going to be an automatic enrollment requirement by employers. Now, this is the thing that people are going to call the HR department and start chewing someone out because they automatically got enrolled to take a certain percentage out of their paycheck. So you have to opt out. And now you're going to have to opt out. Yeah, this is something that's been an idea. This discussion has been around for a while is the extent to which you simply enroll employees rather than count on them doing it themselves in, in plans that you know are beneficial to them. You just enroll them, and then it's not that you're imposing it on them. They could as you, they could opt out, but, mm-hmm. but it makes a big difference as to whether the way they participate is they have to take an affirmative action um, or instead they, they have to take the affirmative action to not be in it. You know, those same forces work for their participation that worked against it before. Mm-hmm. So this has been endorsed as part of the SECURE Act. It is. Um, so employers will start to receive guidelines on what they're they're going to need to take steps to do, um, I believe, in 2024. This is taking effect. So okay. And then be... uh, we have another item. This sounds interesting. This is basically um, a an opportunity to say, look— if a person puts money into this plan, believing that everything's going to go as planned, and it decreases their liquidity. Uh, we used to have some provisions, there were some provisions during COVID, to allow people to take money out without penalty. We saw that that was a concern for a lot of people. Sadly, some people were, took money out and weren't able to put it back in and, and ended up having to pay some uh, additional taxes on it, but at least were able to avoid some penalties. With the SECURE Act, there are various provisions. So this is something that look for more information or, you know, look, there are many, many articles that will be out about this. But it is outlining the different emergency withdrawal provisions. So let's say a person went ahead and maximized their contribution to take advantage of a 50% match up to 10% at their company. And so they were putting 10% of their salary over to their 401k. If something happens and either they lose their job or someone is sick or their spouse loses their job, there are um, availability of, of avoiding or at least decreasing some of the penalties for taking that money out early. Um, and it's not just taking a loan from your 401k at a ridiculous interest rate. There are actually uh, some provisions for withdrawals. So Yeah, and I expect those to be fairly tight because the, yes. I mean, the public policy concern here is to f- encourage people to save. And, yes. 
And you can be sure that these emergency provisions are not going to be permissive because it does defeat the public policy purpose. But it's good that they're there, and, and I'm sure that they will include, you know, genuine, like, health emergencies or I wonder if it probably natural disasters and things like flooding, Florida. Florida, gee, I, yes. I'm amazed. The people in Fort Myers, I read an article the other day, they're still living in, I don't know how many hundreds of people are still living in tents, these temporary housing. It's awful. It, yeah. it, I mean, the damage there was so extensive. And so that that's an example, though, where, you know, if these people, they may have been very frugal in saving, and, and for them to be able to get at funds under an emergency situation such as that without penalty does make sense. Yes. And it, so it's kind of uh, termed as like an emergency savings account, and so it's a new facet of the account even for short-term funds. Hmm. I mean, but there are all kinds of things. This is a very dense piece of legislation. Um, even for uh, workers that are part-time, it's allowing them to have participation in uh, 401k. Some larger corporations, I think Starbucks actually allows for that. Um, but a lot of corporations do not allow part-time workers to start saving for retirement. So think about all of the college kids that you're going to get in these good habits. Yeah. Um, by offering something like this. So the public policy behind all of this is very clear. Um, and it is not necessarily related to adjusting your estate plan. But, you know, most of the time we talk about pieces of law that are, have earmarks, you know, mm -hmm. attached to them. And you're like, great, here's this big purpose of this thing and all these tiny earmarks and you start d digging into the earmarks and go, oh, I'm you know, not really a big fan of some of these earmarks. Well, in this case, the clarification on the part of the SECURE Act allows for estate planners to do a better job on making sure that the trust is directing those assets in the way that they were supposed to, compliant with the law. And then you've got all of this other stuff that's attached to the SECURE Act that's making uh, and encouraging both businesses and individuals to be responsible with their retirement savings. So it's the most related I've seen something in a while. Yeah, yeah, I could see a lot of benefit here. And and don't lose sight, though, of the biggest takeaway that Nina's mentioned. Um, the Those of you, almost all of you who have retirement assets, those need to be reconsidered, I'll put it that way, in light of these changes that have take pla taken place with the SECURE Act. So depending upon how recent you've had a trust created or updated, um, you may very well need to get this done in order to avoid a significant tax effect uh, for your loved ones um, after you pass. So anything else we would add? No, I think that about sums it up, unless you want to go through like the other, you know, 276 provisions. So. Well, we will spare our, our devoted fan base. I think we might lose a couple along the way. We'd probably lose a few of them by the time we got to 120 to 130 <laughs> I think items. So, so we, we got the highlights here out, and there's obviously some more information. We'll link it um, as well coming up so that if anybody really wants to deep dive, they can see all of the language. But feel free if you're in the, in the uh, Missouri or Illinois area to reach out, and we're happy to explain it to you, too, at Tucker Allen. Very good. And the impatience you were hearing a few minutes ago was my dog here, my faithful companion, uh, a Belgian Malinois scout. 
So she's she can tell somehow dogs detect in the change of your cadence or the volume of your voice when you're wa- wrapping up mm-hmm. even this show. But I noticed it in meetings. So so as I start wrapping up, all of a sudden she's over here making these sounds. So worried that we were going to tackle all those other provisions. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was her <laughs> objection. Anyway, another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit tuckerallen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements. 